Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having the best day ever. (laughs) I am super excited to be introducing this week's wonderful guest, Miss Jetta Blaine. So Jetta was was a surprise guest. I did not plan on interviewing her. I was at... um the food and wine festival in Napa Valley. And I was kind of just waiting around and I ran into Jetta and I was surprised to run into Jetta at that festival. In fact, I was meeting a lot of chefs and musicians and people from all walks of life, but Jetta is a medicine woman. She is a lifestyle integration coach that specializes in using the plant medicine combo to facilitate shadow work, catharsis, and rapid transformation. She's been holding space for these medicine journeys as a guide, and she's helped facilitate deep, deep, deep healing, purging, and uh, profound love using combo specifically. Now, I've been wanting to bring on more experts to discuss plant medicines on the show for some time now. Full disclosure, uh, plant medicines have been profound on my own journey of healing but they're not for everyone. And it's very, very, very important to have context and be held in the right containers with the right facilitators and enter into this work with a lot of intention and a lot of reverence. And we talk a lot about that on this week's episode. You know, Jetta has gone down a very, very, very profound journey of healing. She shares her own story that guided her to explore several different healing modalities, combo, body work, massage. She talks about her trip to India. And truly, actually, this was just a very deep and nourishing conversation for myself. I was One, just really impressed with Jetta and how much work she has done on herself, which is truly actually, in my eyes, the biggest mark of mastery for facilitators and space holders. Like if you're holding space for someone else, if you are in a supportive role for someone else, to me, if you have not done the work yourself, it shows. And when I met Jetta and as we went deep into this conversation, I couldn't help but feel just grateful for her wisdom and for the chance to learn from her in the way that I got to in this conversation. So enjoy it. We, if you are interested in Combo or if you want to learn more about it, or if you have any questions for Jetta, we include her contact information in the show notes. Full disclosure, I have not personally used Combo. I'm very interested in learning about different tools and modalities, but please, 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 please do your own research. Jetta is somebody that I believe to have a lot of experience with that particular medicine. So if you have questions, reach out to her. And I hope you guys are having an amazing, amazing, amazing year so far. Gosh, I can't believe it's already almost August. It feels like this year is just flying by and going for amazingly slow at the same time. 
But uh, yeah, I love you guys. And thank you so much for being here and for choosing yourself. And I hope you guys enjoyed this beautiful, nourishing and very, very, very heartfelt conversation with my new friend, Miss Jetta Blaine. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded Live from Feast It Forward. We are in Napa Valley, and I'm sitting across from my brand new friend, Miss Jetta. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here today. Hello, everybody. And thank you, Raj, for having this conversation with me. Well, I mean, it's not often that you meet individuals that are deeply on their spiritual journeys at a wine festival. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when we connected and you shared your story in your heart and what's inspiring you and how you serve the world, I was pleasantly surprised because to be honest, I, you know, thought I'd be interviewing musicians and just individuals that aren't as as deeply on their spiritual path. And so when I when I ran into you, it was actually just really beautiful and surprising. And now I'm just so grateful that we get to unpack your journey and share it with others that are also seeking a sense of wholeness in themselves. I love that. I always say that my practice is to assist people's human journey to wholeness because that's all we ever really want in life. And sometimes we go searching for it in the wrong places and sometimes we're able to be divinely guided towards it. So I love that. I love the word wholeness. If you had to define the word wholeness, how would you define it? I would say I would define it as being okay with your imperfections and being okay with the fact that you're not whole. Nobody, I feel, is ever fully whole until they can accept themselves and however they are, whatever it is they're struggling with and whatever lessons they're getting at this point in time or in their past. It's like an unconditional sort of just acceptance of what is. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's, at least in my journey, I've, I've realized the, like, I love the word returning to wholeness or integration more than I like healing. Like the word healing implies that we're broken. Yeah. And it plays a role in society that is sick and it plays a role in society that does need that, that idea. But the word wholeness just brings me back to this idea that we're all enough as we are. Mm-hmm. Even the, the light and the dark, there's room for both of it. The light and the dark can't actually exist without one another. Mm-hmm. And it isn't about dismissing any of our aspects and our parts. It's about integrating them into wholeness, into a full experience that beautifully brings in conscious awareness and light into this dance that we are. And I'm curious, like, were you, I'd love to talk about your journey. I, I can feel your journey. I don't even need, I think there there's something to be said about the way you feel when you go in and when you have the courage to have those hard conversations, when you have the courage to face those parts of yourself that are, they're not easy to face. And so I'd love for you to maybe share more about how did you enter into your inner journey? Was there a breaking point? Was there a catalyst? Was there just pure curiosity? What brought you into the work? It's a really good question. And I'll try not to make it (laughs) the answer too terribly long because there were many breaking points and there still will be, and there probably always will be. And I'm grateful enough to have those and to treat them as they are, as dark nights of the soul that bring me onto a greater alignment or help purge something out of me that's I've been holding on to a little bit too long. I think with the journey of wholeness and healing, again, we can forget that 
we're still always doing it. Things get easier. We've become more okay with things, but we're always working on ourselves and it becomes easier to do that. But when I look back at my life, I had a really rough childhood growing up. I experienced a lot of loss, a lot of instability, and a lot of really deep mental and physical health issues. Like broke my back at a young age, broke my face at a young age, was given so many prescriptions at a very young age and just filled with pills. At one point, I had so many opiate prescriptions that I couldn't legally get them filled at one pharmacy. I had to go to multiple pharmacies to get them filled when I was like 17. So it was a lot. And a lot of really insecure mental health stuff followed, um, issues with eating disorders. I'd go down suicidal spirals every like three weeks or so. So it was a lot. And basically, when it comes to my biggest breaking point, I'd say I was actually studying abroad in West Africa. And I was at this place called Cape Three Points, which it's the southernmost point of West Africa. And it was just very lush, just trees everywhere, no real development. And I was all alone. And I was just letting like the water have its way with me, just tossing me side to side. It was a really rough surf. And I really just realized that I needed to take accountability and responsibility for myself because nobody was going to save me. I needed to look at myself through a different lens and I needed to begin this journey step after step. And I just kind of gave it up to whatever spirit guides I did or didn't believe in at the time. I was spiritual. I'd already started practicing yoga and meditating, but I hadn't really integrated all that into my life. It was still a very physical practice. And I was bypassing a lot at that point in my life. Just, oh, if I just do this, it'll be perfect. Or if I just ignore this and just focus on toxic positivity, it'll save me. But it was really the moment where I was like, we got to go in here and do this journey. And it's been years since with lots of ups and downs and beauty. I heard the word bypassing. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people, when they enter into a spiritual practice, they they do it with the best intentions. I don't think anyone intentionally wants to bypass or move beyond things. And Mm -hmm. so can you speak to that idea of like when you said you were bypassing, like, What does that mean Mm -hmm. for someone who might be on their journey who may be unaware of an unintentional bypass or Mm -hmm. something that they don't even realize is a part of their reality? I will say first that oftentimes I find that bypassing is like a thin line because when we're working at changing our inner world, we do want to focus on being more positive about things. We want to notice when our mind gets in loops as we work with our neuropathways and whatnot. But bypassing is when you just completely discount whatever it is you're actually feeling, whatever it is you're actually thinking. So as we go to train ourselves to think better, to be more positive, to embrace more health, it's really important that we don't just ignore the fact that, hey, we feel like shit sometimes, and hey, we're angry at this person, and hey, we hate other people at times and even hate ourselves. It means we take accountability and recognize our own darkness. We just don't let it consume us and we don't shut it in a door and hope that it'll go away with sage and cacao. That's what I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a realness and and an acceptance of what is, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think we've all, whether we had troubling childhoods or not, we're all carrying levels of dense energy in our systems, whether it's from the collective Mm -hmm. just environments we were grown up and born into, or it was trauma traveled through generations, passed through epigenetics. I Mm -hmm. mean, we all have stuff we're carrying. We all have feelings we don't like feeling. We all have situations about life that we're not really ready to look at. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in that sense, like, how do you balance looking? You know, I think about people in my life, certain people that like, they do practice toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. They're very much about the that 
And I also think that there's a level of them not being ready to look at what's there. So can you speak to that? Like, when is it toxic positivity? And when is it just like grace for the person not just being ready to look at whatever's inside? Because it might be a lot or they might not be ready or they may not have the the tools and the support systems around them to actually like be with what is. Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like it's up to the individual to really know when they need to practice, you know, being maybe over optimistic about things and when it's maybe time to sit down and have a cathartic break or look at themselves in the mirror. And I think there are a couple of different ways when we can notice this. I'm really into somatics. Studying somatics has helped me so much and then seeing somatic practitioners. So learning how to be in my body, recognize when my body is sending me messages, the mind and the body connection and how they work together in tandem. And you can do this through a yoga practice, through working with a practitioner, through meditating or even just paying attention to your diet in a lot of ways. But I feel like ultimately your body knows when, hey, I've been holding on to something for way too long and this is becoming too heavy on my shoulders and it needs to be recognized. Other times I feel our body tells us, okay, maybe we need to be a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter, focus on the good things in life. It's not just about having to go forward and go rushing into darkness because a lot of times when people begin this journey, they do at first kind of rush into darkness and then they'll pendulum back towards ah too light and then darkness and then too light when really it is a balance, it is a dance. And hopefully all these people are able to find a community with them to provide the safe space and support because safe space and support is everything. If you open up to the wrong person, it might create a little bit more darkness or a little bit more trauma when it comes to knowing who and when it's okay to be vulnerable with somebody. So finding responsible friends who are on a similar path or responsible mentors or even going to a 12-step group or whatever that safe container might look like for you. It's really important to get that behind you to help hold you as you go into the breaking process. If you don't have that community yet, Mm -hmm. yet you're feeling these feelings, how do you learn to practice that vulnerability and safety and intimacy with yourself Mm -hmm. safely? How do you learn to actually open up somatically or really even go into those conversations with yourself and build that foundation? Is there anything that you would recommend for anyone listening who's Again, on the journey, they might live somewhere that they're not, like there's not facilitators Mm -hmm. accessible to them, or maybe financially, they're not in a space where they can afford it, Mm -hmm. but they're listening to this podcast and they're, they're feeling like they need that support. So Mm -hmm. like, how would you speak or what would you speak to that person? I would say when you're going through that, everything is second by second, minute to minute. So if you're on the verge of something that's really intense, you have a lot of things coming up. If you just can't handle whatever it is that your mind or body's doing, I always recommend that people do something that stimulates them bilaterally. So that could mean walking, that could mean doing like an online EMDR session and just eye toggling, EFT tapping. There are a lot of different exercises, but something that incorporates some kind of subtle movement. We don't want to push people over too much. I've definitely been addicted to running before and hurt myself repeatedly through really rigorous exercise when I've been going through these moments myself. So subtle movement, anything just to get you in touch and align your breath with your body, with something that's going to keep you not distracted, but going forward enough to allow things to be actually transmuted. Yeah, 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 and it's so EFT is is powerful. Yeah, and it's free, and and I think that's a big awareness shift. Even like you can actually learn to regulate your own nervous system, mm-hmm. which is I think a big part of that foundation. It's yeah. self awareness and it's understanding yourself and and trusting that anything that shows up is meant to be shown, 
and your body wouldn't actually be creating these feelings and these emotions Mm -hmm. and making them in your present or bringing them to your present awareness if it wasn't ready to be looked at and released and felt. And so how do you inspire the courage maybe Mm -hmm. to go in? Because I think that's something that, I don't know if as a culture, we just are terrified of feeling. I don't know if that's like, Ooh, we can go down a lot of rabbit you know holes with I mean? that like, one. I, I think that like <laughs> as a culture, we we just have this, maybe even as children, we just have mm-hmm. our belief systems that stop us from feeling safe mm-hmm. in our feelings, in our bodies. So we disconnect. Mm-hmm. And so I guess if you had to inspire the courage to go in and be in all of it, like how would you speak to that? I would say there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see it in this moment. I've definitely been in pits of darkness where it feels like light can never exist ever again. And I'm just fully in it. But I've been lucky enough within myself and in my own journey to know, okay, I've experienced moments where I'm in ecstasy and I'm happy and I'm so grateful to be alive and to be here. So tapping into that, just being like, I know that again, I will get there. And I know that there's something that's working its way out. So honestly, having faith that when these things come up, it needs to come up and out because it will continue to live within our bodies and make us sick later. And so that faith combined with breath is very important. I'm always really hesitant to recommend breath to people because when you're in it, breath work is really difficult, but just taking three solid breaths. And even that sometimes can give you that light that you need to move forward and move past that. What have you found to be, I mean, you've clearly done a lot and you hold space in a lot of different styles of Mm -hmm. either whatever word we want to call them, therapy, we can call them, I don't know, what would you call, I guess, the body of work that you hold space for? I specialize in catharsis and rapid transformation is what I say. Rapid deep transformation. I'm all about shadow work. When you're talking about the light and the dark, it just, my mind always goes to the fact that the light holds the dark and the dark holds the light and there's equal power in both of them. There's also equal darkness in the light and equal light in the darkness. So basically that's what I do is I bring people into their darkness in a safe way and I allow it to come up and out and to allow them to see it as a place of power. When you say catharsis, Mm -hmm. what does that word mean to you? It means release. It means overdue release. And oftentimes it means looking at ourselves in a way that we're not comfortable looking at ourselves. Yeah. Or we haven't been thus far. It's like a deep cry that just feels really good. Mm -hmm. It could be more than just crying, though. It can be shaking. It can be purging. It can be all kinds of things in my line of work, really. What I always say is trauma doesn't look good going into the body. It doesn't look good coming out of the body. And that's not just our trauma. That's other traumas of people that we hold dear to us, that we love, who we support. And that's also our lineage and wherever we come from and what our ancestors have experienced that it's also in our DNA. Wow, that was a really powerful statement. Trauma doesn't look good going in and it doesn't look good coming out. Mm-mm. And I think that's a really important message because I think people are afraid of what's going to come out. Mm-hmm. They want it to look a certain way and there's a lot of judgment, I think, on the journey. I know mm-hmm. certainly for myself, like I'm very conscious, at least when I first started, like I didn't want, if I'd go into a medicine journey or something, I wouldn't want to throw up. I would be yeah. very resistant to looking anyway. I would hold on for dear life. Mm -hmm. And all that did was create more suffering, Yeah, (laughs) which is interesting in itself. And so I guess when you also hold space for a lot of medicine work, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, I think we're in an interesting culture right now with psychedelics and substance where it's kind of just being thrown around like it's something that everyone should do. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm a big believer in, you know, discernment and being able to be really mindful about when you choose to engage in sacraments or sacred medicines mm-hmm. to embark on healing. Do you have any guidelines or anything that you can share around like knowing when you're ready for something like that? Mm-hmm. And, and if there is any guidelines to just understanding when it's appropriate and when it's not, mm-hmm. I would love to hear your take just as, as somebody who does hold space for so many different styles of, of substance and medicine. Yeah. So I would say ultimately, you know, and it's easy for the mind to come in and cloud things. I would also say that resistance is a doorway. And on the other side of that doorway can be a lot of power. I've sat in many ayahuasca journeys and each time I go to sit for the most part, I'm like crying and I don't want to do it. And then I'm always happy that I do it afterwards. And I've sat through more than a dozen and I help support it. So I will say that the resistance can come up hard and it can come up strong, but time and place and a responsible person or people to hold the space is crucial. And a lot of the experiences that I've had with psychedelic medicines and then the frog medicine, that is the main thing that I serve. A lot of my experiences have been undoing times when I've taken drugs or alcohol or relied on the wrong people to hold space for me and done things in a way that wasn't aligned with an intention and a purpose. I prefer to do all these things ceremonially. That's not to say that taking some mushrooms and going walking in the woods isn't ceremonial in a way. It it is and it can be very helpful, but I like having responsible people that are there to keep the energy cleared to make sure that I'm safe so that I can really go deep. And to do that, there are guidelines. It's important to always interview whoever you're going to sit with. Also, if you're feeling called to something that's from the Amazon, I recommend, or anywhere in the world, I recommend that you find a practitioner in your state or in your country of origin instead of traveling elsewhere and putting some kind of language barrier or culture barrier around things so that you can have a safer experience and a safer feeling of release. And that interview with them, knowing what their training is, what their background is. If anybody ever forces you or tries to push you that one thing is the only way, that's a big red flag. Or if they try to paint everything in sunshine and rainbows, that's a big red flag because oftentimes the most difficult journeys can be the most powerful. So again, you want to have somebody who's going to be real about that and who's safe for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, thank you, by the way, for just being so candid, because I think that mm-hmm. I, I see this culture right now mm-hmm. in just, I don't know if it's society or what, where just everybody's talking about medicine work mm-hmm. and there's nobody talking about discernment inside of medicine work mm-hmm. and when it's appropriate, when it's not and how to approach it and how it can have some significant implications if you go into it without the right foundation. You know, yeah. like I actually really don't believe that somebody who isn't as far on their spiritual journey should start out with something like ayahuasca. No. <laughs> I actually think you should start no. out with maybe meditation, yes. breath work, conscious journaling, maybe sitting mm-hmm. with your feelings and learning and, and building a foundation of awareness yes. that then allows you to dance between the dimensions, right? Like mm-hmm. you can start with the mind and the heart, then safely open up the body before you go dancing with spirit. Like there's... Mm-hmm. There's a sequence to things that I think gets missed in today's quick win culture where we just want to get the answer. And we think Mm -hmm. that going to something outside of our bodies is going to give us that answer. Mm -hmm. When I'm so grateful you even brought back the importance of the somatics. And so can you describe like, what does it mean? Like like somatics, Mm -hmm. unpack that word for anyone listening Mm -hmm. who might not even know what that is Mm -hmm. and how to actually start building that relationship with your body 
uh, before you start to even entertain the concept of a psychedelic medicine or mm -hmm. a plant substance or anything to take you outside of your body. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So my definition of somatics is probably going to be different than you'd look up online. And the way that I view it is the mind-body connection and getting in touch with the wisdom that the body holds. Our bodies are our home in this life. We're also in a longer relationship with ourselves than we ever will be with anybody else. And ultimately, even though we all need people for guidance and to hold space, we know ourselves better than anybody else ever will, even if we're really confused or lost at any point in time. And so practicing somatics is a way for you to get in touch with your body and your body's innate wisdom. And so you can do that through yoga, yoga asana or through meditation, breath work, running, anything that gets you moving, embodied movement, dance, dance yes, even just like sitting down and just moving your hands and just doing some light stretches, like anything that puts you into your body. Polar plunges are one of my favorite, but that's a bit intense for a lot of people I know. But there are so many, so many ways to get in touch with this. And another way is that you can just go out into your day and just spend one day just feeling how your body feels in different situations. When you walk into a group of certain people, when you walk into a store, when you sit at home alone, and don't judge it, but just pay attention and it'll start to show you some things. I think the practice, you know, for me, the, the, the stack of, you know, like something like a somatic therapy mm -hmm. or w like many of the ones you just mentioned are an mm -hmm. embodiment practice mm -hmm. where you're practicing getting in touch with your body mm -hmm. with something like reflection and journaling. Yeah. Like that combination right there is mm -hmm. such a great place to start because yes. you're opening things up and then all of a sudden you're reflecting about how that thing that just opened up made mm -hmm. you feel. What do you remember? What are the mm -hmm. ahas and insights showing up about your life or a person or a situation? And I think that right there is a foundation that you can carry with you into all the work you do. And mm -hmm. I'm specifically curious about maybe now, because you said you were very sick. Mm -hmm. So it clearly, it, you look incredibly healthy. <laughs> I feel healthy. So yeah, you, yeah, you seem good. to be doing something right, right? Like, mm -hmm. And so I'd love to maybe speak to what was that journey like for you back to optimum health in the way you defined it? Like mm -hmm. what was the steps? Like I can't imagine day one you're super sick and you're like, I'm going to go on this big old journey mm -hmm. and do that. Like it was like a progression to get to where you're at. So can you actually like speak to or try and connect back to where you were mm -hmm. and then speak in stages? So that anyone listening who might be sick, who might have a physical illness, who might or some type of an illness can actually see like, okay, like what does the progression of coming back to wholeness or back to myself look like in an example? Honestly, like the first thing that comes to mind is shedding a lot of what people tell you you should do, what is healthy for you, how you should be thinking, how you should be feeling. You shouldn't be doing this. This practice that you have isn't backed. It's crazy. If it's working for you and if it's something that you're drawn to, you, you need to do that, whether it's a dietary practice, a spiritual practice, anything. Obviously, have close friends that can help you keep your wits about you because we all do keep each other in check. But a lot of it was me just having to trust myself and being and going wherever I felt called. So a couple of years ago, I was evacuated for a wildfire. I was living and working in Yosemite National Park, got evacuated, was going to go to grad school in the fall and then didn't work for half the season because of a wildfire. So I just said, 
screw it. I bought a one-way plane ticket to India. And then was like, wait, I'm not working. How am I going to afford this? And just trusted that it was going to work itself out. And it did. And I started living in ashram while I was there, getting my solid yoga practice going. That's really when I went deep into meditation and learned through Vipassana meditation and yoga that a lot of the pain that I'd felt in my body, my whole body hurt for years since I was a little kid, like crazy. Um, I learned that a lot of it was withheld trauma and my nervous system just being on edge. So that was step one, doing like the crazy thing, doing what people told me I couldn't do, just knowing that, okay, I I know I need to do this for myself. And I know that if I never do it, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive myself for not doing it. Mm. So that was step number one. Step number two, really getting in control of my diet, which was challenging for me. I've suffered from many different eating disorders and had many different treatments for them. Getting in touch with what my body was telling me through my eating disorder when it was using it was kind of like a warning for me if I was taking on too much from other people or not paying attention enough to my inner world when it would flare up. So getting friendly with that and then changing my diet around. And then after that, I found combo and then ayahuasca, which I feel my diet, combo, ayahuasca were the three things that really brought me to where I am today. And then yoga has held the space for it. It's been the solid practice that keeps me grounded between ceremonies, between sits. And that reminds me why I'm on this path. So it's like the solid foundation. And then I've got these moments of intensity or these moments where I come together with my spiritual community that kind of help catapult me a bit further. Well, I just want to really highlight this one piece because I think you you mentioned it. It's mm-hmm. if I don't do this, I won't forgive myself. I think that space is so important to just highlight because mm-hmm. I think that is where that's the breaking point that starts people on their journey to healing and they don't or their journey to optimum health. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people it's just I've been very recently been around a lot of folks in the cancer space. And and I when I meet those with cancer, that's usually the thing. It's like the disease started the journey, mm-hmm. but then it's this, I can't let myself go there. It's act, in fact, the greatest expression of self-love. Mm. The greatest expression of self-love is not allowing yourself to be the victim to that, that message. And it's shifting that language to being like, okay, what is my body trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. What is this thing, this thing that's showing up right now? It's not happening to me. My body is communicating to me. How do I communicate with it? How do I learn to dance with it? Yes. How do I learn to love it? That's huge because if we're fighting something off forever, it's like they say, what you resist persists. Yeah. And that's very true in so many different ways. So we do have to learn how to live in relationship with these things that we struggle with. And I've learned often the things that we struggle with the most are the things that we hold tightest to us. And there are reasons why. And they're often our friends because they're what we have when nobody else is around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So you did mention combo. Mm-hmm. I know that's mm-hmm. the probable medicine that you serve, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the prominent ones. Mm-hmm. When is it appropriate for someone to, and this is me even asking for myself, mm-hmm. like when is it appropriate to engage in a substance or in a, in a plant mm-hmm. or it's a, it's a toad? It's a frog. It's a frog. So in something like that, mm-hmm. like at what point would you get there? I can't imagine that's a day one thing. It can be. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, like I said, in the spirit of discernment, mm-hmm. I would love to unpack that because mm-hmm. even the way I'm, I'm curious just to hear how you think about mm-hmm. choosing substances, mm-hmm. because I, I think there's a higher, there's a meta level conversation about that. Oh yeah. So I think people just usually take whatever they're given. Mm-hmm. 
or wherever they go, it's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a gift to being more intentional with your journey. So yeah, yeah, I would love to just impact that one substance first and then we can kind of go from there. Definitely. Well, what I will say about combo is that combo is legal in every country in the world. Combo is also not psychedelic. So it's not going to shoot you off into space like ayahuasca or even psilocybin can. So um, it's a lot better for people who are just entering into their journey or who doesn't want to give their consciousness up to a plant yet or to anything else. It's you and yourself going through a purification process. And I truly believe that combo is good for most people to have. It's very good for your physical body and then also your brain and yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's it's all-encompassing in so many ways. But I would say, again, if you're considering it or if knowing when is the time for you, one is... Oftentimes people will hear about combo and then they'll meet me two days later and is fascinating. So it kind of works like that. There's a, there's a mysterious part to it. But another side of it is just asking yourself if you're willing to be put into that discomfort yet. It is an uncomfortable experience. Are you willing to be vulnerable enough with somebody who is a responsible practitioner and who can hold a responsible space for you? If you're not willing to go to that discomfort yet, stimulates a lot of nausea within you and there's a lot of purging yeah, in combo. I've, I've heard combos actually very physically uncomfortable. Oh, very. Yeah. And it doesn't have to, it's not 100% of the time, but like 99% of the yeah, time it is. The people but, I know who have done combo have all purged in some way. Yeah. It's it's a physical experience. It but is. that's what it's doing. It's clearing your body. Yeah. It's clearing your body of all kinds of things. It's a strong antiviral, strong antifungal. It resets your digestive system. It cleanses the body on a cellular level. They use it for cancer research and in cancer medicines. It's also a strong antidepressant. It's great for chronic pain, but it gets all kinds of things out of you. And it's not unusual that I'll have a client that says, oh, I just threw a pharmaceutical I took 10 years ago that I could taste again. So it, it goes very deep. A lot of times when people are drawn to combo, it's because nothing else has worked. And that's how it is with so many alternative medicines. It's like that with acupuncture oftentimes or things that are considered woo or weird because they're outside of the normalcy of what our culture has said is healthy. So the biggest thing though, again, just to revert back, like just knowing when you're able to go to that discomfort is key. And then step two is knowing somebody who you can do it with, who's going to give you a safe space because that's very important. Yeah, and this was one of, yeah, I mean, that's just so important, the safe space. I cannot speak more to yeah. having people hold a loving container for you mm-hmm. to just allow, because I think that's when the healing, the purging, that's when truth actually shows up, when it feels safe enough to show up. It is. And one thing that I'll also say that follows us up in something that we talked about a bit earlier, oftentimes when we have people that are close to us that might affect our our inner guidance with ourselves. So us going on our own path because they're scared. A lot of times when we go down this journey, the spiritual journey or the health journey, it goes against, or it could go against a lot of the people that we've hung out with or that we've grown up with because it is something that's getting more popular, being healthy, mind, body, and spirit, finding that connection. And so a lot of times it takes kind of like stepping outside of what's normal or what people say is okay. And as you go, sometimes it can take time, but usually people find the right people to provide support for them. And that's not to condemn anybody from anybody's past. It's just saying it's different. So it seems scary. Yeah. 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 I so appreciate this conversation because I think that one, I want to haven't had many people on the show to actually talk about substance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of that. 
you know, I, I really want to send the strong message that, you know, not every substance is for everyone. And I agree. It is absolutely important for you to build a foundation for yourself mm-hmm. and know how willing you are to open up and to do it in safe spaces and to learn and trust mm-hmm. and ask questions and be curious. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful that you are so openly open. I said, I wasn't really sure where the hell we were going to take this conversation. Yeah. I kind of just surrendered to the flow of it. And mm-hmm. I so appreciate how open and candid you've been with myself as well as anyone listening mm-hmm. just around like just the, the safety and the efficacy of entering into the spiritual journey with mm. all of these tools that are now getting so much awareness yeah, because they are powerful. yeah, And with that power comes immense responsibility and immense care. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just thank you, Jetta, for just being as you are and for sharing your heart and for being so vulnerable and of course. and for totally making time in the middle of a wine festival to just, just <laughs> pop in and do this interview. I'd love to. Uh, so you actually hold space for others, right? Like, so I do. Okay. So do you want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that for anybody listening who may want to reach out to you and mm-hmm. thank you, or maybe they have clarifying questions yeah. about anything that we talked about on this podcast? Like, how would they get in touch with you? I do want to add one quick thing. I fought the plant medicine and the substance path for a very long time. Like I was a yogi, like I would go to ashram and just sit in meditation for a long time. And it was very like, this is what I need. Like I don't need anything else. And then the medicines kept calling me and I kept going back to them with resistance and they kept on showing themselves to me. So I totally get, you know, medicines aren't for everybody, but they can show themselves to you. At the same time, yeah, I do hold space for people. I am a combo practitioner and you can find me at moonflowerinsights.com or moonflowercambo on Instagram, which is K-A-M-B-O. And I also provide space. I do plant medicine integration coaching and lifestyle integration coaching. So you talked about the difference between healing and integration. I love the word integration. We can do it every day with anything that we learn. So I provide space for that. And then I also do body work in the Bay Area and have retreats and teach yoga and would love to have some of your listeners there. Yay. Well, thank you again for being so lovely. One last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? That is such a good question. I stay grounded in knowing when I need to spend time alone, even if I really don't want to. That's a really big one. Wow. Knowing when my emotions starting to take hold of me, it's usually when I realize I'm not liking other people. <laughs> like if you have those days where it's like, everyone sucks. It's usually like, oh, I know I just need to be alone and process some stuff. So that's, that's the number one, knowing when I need to be alone. And it's that's, normally a bit ugly at first and then it gets really nice. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's weird. <laughs> Gina and I were literally just talking about this yesterday. <laughs> but no, it's so good. Well, thank you again, Jennifer, for yeah. being so lovely. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay mm-hmm. Grounded. I'm your host, Raj, and this is your new friend, Jetta. From us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast 
Read in our thoughtful posts or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.